Hello, welcome to Careers Talk, I'm Kerry Eustace. In this week's pod, we're exploring careers in engineering and we've invited some high-flying, newly qualified engineers to share their career stories. Catherine Teague from Engineering UK will be telling us about the biggest trends and the most important skills for those wanting to get ahead in the sector. We'll also be hearing from Julian Lindley about how to survive a job you hate. But first, as ever, we've got a roundup of the news. Ali White and Harriet Minter, the dream team, are here to share their picks of this week's careers headlines and blogs. Hello, both. Hello. Hello. Are you well? Very well, thank you. Good. Um, Ali, you're going to start with something about agency, worker, policy, reggae sort of thing. <laughs> sure. Um, well, I thought this might be of interest to graduates because, as we know, it's not always easy to get your first graduate job. So what a lot of people tend to do is go and do some agency work or temp jobs to kind of fill in the gap or even, I suppose, to get yourself started on the ladder. So it's new agency worker legislation coming into effect in just over a week. And we have talked about it on the pod before, but it is literally around the corner now. And what it means is the new agency work regulations entitle temps to the same pay and benefits as permanent staff after just 12 weeks in a job, the same job that is. And a piece on nebusiness.co.uk about what the new regs mean for SMEs also says after October the 1st when it comes in, temps will be entitled to certain benefits from their very first day as well, equal to other staff in the organisation. Includes things like access to the staff canteen, creche um, facilities and car parking. And they'll also be entitled to information about any other vacancies within the business, which sounds good for grads. But also a little bit of a word of warning on this is, according to The Telegraph, a recent survey suggested almost 500,000 agency workers could lose their jobs just before Christmas as businesses move to sack temps to avoid the new rules. So it's just something to bear in mind, maybe. But, you know, it would be a shame if people are going to lose their jobs over this. But it's, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it works. Because on the one side, it sounds quite good for temp workers. But if this does have an impact, then, you know, not so great. OK, so my story is sticking with the engineering theme. Golden hello bonuses of up to £3,000 are being offered to law graduate engineers to work at Dyson. And um, this is a story from the FT. Um, and the company is doing this to try and recruit 150 technical grads or people to its current workforce of 550. So on top of this golden hello, the engineers usually kind of when they just leave uni, so probably around 22, can expect a starting salary of £28,500. Not bad, is it, for a a grad job? Um, So Sir James Dyson, he's the chief engineer and owner and somebody you've probably seen on the telly and in the news quite a lot, has also said, if we recruit postgraduate engineers, then the starting salaries can be a lot higher. So there's scope to kind of build on that salary. The Golden Hellos are kind of designed to attract engineers of the right calibre, so the kind of top people coming out of uni. Um, Not enough people are currently being attracted into engineering. There's massive skills gaps. And the shortages are kind of across the globe. And it means companies like Dyson, Rolls-Royce and General Electric can't kind of keep up and they've got projects that they want to work on and kind of work that they want to to develop, but they're struggling because they haven't got the skills. hoping that these sweeteners are going to get those top people in. The reason that I picked this story apart from it being engineering focused is they wanted to demonstrate that there is demand for graduates in some sectors. It's not, you know, not everybody is shutting their doors on on um, graduate employees. Also shows that for people with the right skills and experience, there are perks out there. 
and also highlights that, that talent and skills gaps are existing everywhere. There's also skills gaps in places like the creative industries for people with kind of IT skills or finance skills that can work on multi-platforms, which is what a lot of businesses want to do. Even in the media, that we're looking for digital all-rounders all the time. So I'd recommend that people do their research and identify those skills gaps so they can think about what they need to do to improve their chances of getting a job. Well, I am going to talk about kind of going a bit earlier than getting a job and the fact that a recent survey showed 28% of those studying apprenticeships, BTECs and GMVQs have never had any careers counselling, which I think is absolutely astonishing, but also really quite scary because if you're just trotting into a job without anyone giving you advice as to what that job might be like or what you can expect of it in the future, you're probably not the best prepared for going into the workplace. And this kind of follows on from the Department for Education announcing that going forward it's going to create a national career service by April next year and that's going to be aimed at people of 19 years old and above. However, below that it's actually going to become a legal requirement for schools to provide careers advice to their pupils. Um, doesn't quite say how the schools are going to fund this but it will be a legal requirement for it. Um, but what I was going to say is if you do find that you don't have access to careers advice... Although if you're listening to this, you've clearly already found the best careers advice out there. Um, but if you are kind of thinking about where else you can get it, first place I would suggest it going to is going actually going to your local library because they will generally have big resources on kind of available careers and job hunting ideas and prospects. They'll also have internet access. As we all know, the internet has a wealth of information, some of it good, some of it not so good. Also just go out onto Twitter, out onto Facebook, ask your friends about who they're talking to. There will be other sources out there, but I think it's going to rely on students and graduates being a little bit proactive and trying to find it. On the back of this story, Comment is Free on The Guardian ran an open thread asking people kind of what career advice they'd had throughout their lives, if they remember the best career advice they got. And I kind of scanned the thread and the majority was that I've, I never got any career advice at school, I didn't bother with it at university. And I think it can make all the difference, so it's definitely worth doing what Harriet says and being proactive. Do you remember the best piece of career advice you've ever had? Do you know, I think I'm one of those people as well that before I got into my sort of professional career that I didn't really seek out any advice. So it was more when I was kind of on the job and people sort of telling me that you need to say yes to things and you're responsible for developing your career. So if you want to get ahead, you need to make the extra effort. So I think it's something that I absorbed in the workplace and I wish I would have taken advantage of things earlier. I got told, don't be afraid to change your mind. So if something isn't working and you think you've made a mistake, it's never too late to go back and change it. Ali? I think I kind of knew what I wanted to do before I went to the career service. So I was kind of like, I want to get on this course in this university. Can you tell me how to do that or what I need to do? <laughs> Which luckily was the same university I went to. So they're like, aha, <laughs> they knew quite a lot about so it. So ambitious and determined. <laughs> Thanks very much. Time for Dear Julian now. This week, Mr Lindley has some ideas on how to cope with a job that you just don't enjoy. So our query today is from a person who was made redundant from their job as a photography assistant and they've ended up in another job which they don't really like as a PA in an accountancy firm. The role that they're doing is not fulfilling, they find some of their colleagues a bit bullying and they're desperate to kind of break back into a sort of creative industry. So you absolutely have my sympathy, but let's try and think of a way of kind of digging your way out of this hole. First of all, you're really clear that you miss the sort of creative aspects of your previous job. And I can really appreciate this. I'd go mad if I had to sort of work in a non-creative industry. 
However, for the time being, in the short term, I would say try and focus your spare time on fulfilling your creative urges, if you like, to make sure that you kind of still feel connected, that you're doing something to express yourself, to sort of get out of your system, those sort of creative juices, if you like. And then the other thing I'd do in the short term is to try as hard as you can to compartmentalize your day. So in the past, when I've not been enjoying what I've been doing at work, I've been very clear cut in how I work my day. So I train my brain not to think about work until I get to the office. I take my lunchtime and I go away and I get out of the office. I don't eat anything at my desk. Get out of the office and go and do something different. And then when I leave work, again, train my brain to just dump the issues at work and to leave them there. You know, it's not a long-term solution, but it's certainly something, as you're so unhappy, that will get you through this sort of difficult time. A friend of mine taught me this brilliant trick once that I applied to my working life. So he was having a very difficult time in the UK, but he was living in Denmark. And whenever he came back to the UK, he'd leave. And as he left, he would imagine as the plane took off, the clouds holding all of his issues and problems sort of beneath him, if you like, sort of back in the UK. And it sounds a bit hocus pocus, hippy dippy. Do you know what? It actually works because I tried it. And in actual fact, it's really good for you to have these sorts of visual exercises to help you sort of block the bad stuff out so at work if I was having a bad day I'd think about the lift doors literally as they close behind me keeping my issues of work in the lift and again I hasten to add this is when I wasn't enjoying work generally I I love thinking about work (laughs) makes me sound like a lunatic I know but trust me give it a go it works and I think when you're in an unhappy place if I was you I'd try anything (laughs) that gave you so that's one way that you can deal with it another way and this is if your work allows you to do this make sure that you don't resist that temptation to look on your telephone for emails maybe turn off the email setting on your phone again I hasten to add this is only if your career permits you to do this but I have to say in a PA role in the accountancy firm I'd say that's a pretty fair thing to do another thing you can do is to always make sure that you have an activity in between work and your home life that helps to break your mood and break your day so it might be that you want to go for a run or go to the gym or meet friends for a drink or for dinner or to do something for yourself straight after work but don't just travel straight home generally I find that you tend to dwell on work issues unless you distract yourself with something that clashes if you like with work jars with work and then another thing I do which I find really useful is it's almost as if I have a work and a home identity almost. So even though I don't work in an environment where I have to wear a suit or I have to dress particularly smartly, whenever I get home, I change straight away. So I was the same at school. As soon as I got home from school, I'd take my school uniform off and put something else on because it's symbolic to me of that's gone, that's my work life, and that's my home life. And I think it's really important to not muddy the two, especially when you're not happy at work, and remember that work is something that all of us have to do in order to fund our lives outside of work. And it's not that your life is there to support your work life. Towards the end of your letter, you mentioned that you're 41 years old. So 41 years old, I would say now is a real time that you have to take action. You can't just allow this situation to go on for many more years because the reality is your employment prospects will diminish the older you get. You know, it's not fair, it's not right, but unfortunately that is the reality, especially in PA roles. So take action now to change your career, to get into 
a role that fulfills you. There aren't that many jobs around. I absolutely understand that. It is tougher than ever to compete for very small pool of roles. But the best thing to do is to take action and not just sit there and do nothing and wait for the economy to change. It makes you feel better applying for jobs. Taking action is better than being a victim because the point is, if you do nothing, nothing will change. And if you do something, yes, it will be tough, but a change may happen. And definitely at your age, I would say go for it now because given a few more years, I think that your prospects will not be quite as open as they are now. That was Julian Lindley, Creative Director at Bauer. Okay, so a common complaint we hear from the graduates in our community is that they are fed up with all the bad news stories about graduate employment. And with headlines such as employers no longer valuing degrees, 80-odd applicants going for each vacancy, it's little wonder you're all getting a bit demoralised. But there is an exception. When it comes to engineering, good careers news isn't such a rarity. Even just this week, there have been two gleamingly positive headlines. Firstly, as I mentioned in the news roundup, Dyson are offering up to £3,000 golden hellos to lure top engineering talent into its ranks. But it's also been reported that the pay prospects for engineering grads are among the highest around. Civil engineering graduates, for example, can ultimately expect to earn an average salary of £46,000 a year. Obviously, the promise of a 50k salary and a golden hello are rather tempting. But what does it take to secure those roles in the first place? And what's it like working in the sector? To discuss this more, welcome to David Tolbert, a chemical engineering graduate who did a summer placement with Centrica in 2009. He's now one year into the Centrica graduate programme. Catherine Teague is career manager for Engineering UK, a not-for-profit organisation which promotes engineering and technology. And joining us on the phone is mechanical engineering graduate Rebecca Lees. She's a materials engineer at Jaguar Land Rover and she joined via its graduate scheme in 2008. Hello everyone. Hi there. Welcome to the studio. All right, so David, let me ask you first, give us a flavour of your job, kind of what are you doing, what is your role? Uh, so I work in the engineering support base for the gas processing terminals up in uh, Barrow and Furness. So at peak demand, we used to provide 25% of the nation's gas. And uh, so my job is to keep the terminals running as efficiently as possible and, most importantly, as safely as possible. And Rebecca, what about you? What's your typical day like if you have a typical day? My role isn't really that typical, but my principal role is to specify all the steel and aluminium grades used in the body structure of our vehicles. So that, that's everything from the chassis up, so typically everything you can see. Um, and the first car I worked on was the Range Rover Evoque, which has just been released this month. Um, and so it's really exciting now to see my work out, out on the road. So both of you joined your prospective employers via the graduate programme. Can you tell me, Rebecca first, tell me a bit about the kind of the process, the application process and kind of how you found the opportunity? I applied to five different companies and all of the processes were pretty much the same. Generally, it starts with an online application with a variety of different questions talking about your experiences. Then I had um, online tests and sometimes a telephone interview and then followed by the main part, which was an assessment centre. And they did vary in length from about half a day to two days. 
What about you, David? Does that kind of echo your experience? Yeah, it's very similar. I, uh, I actually went through the summer placement at Centrica, a uh, very similar application process to, uh, to what Rebecca's talking about. The difference being that uh, off the back of the summer placement, I had one final technical interview. Is it quite um, common at Centrica that if you've kind of done the summer scheme that you go on to apply? Yeah, absolutely. The summer placement's seen as a, as a channel through to the company. It, sees, it gives you an opportunity to see how you fit with the company, how the company fits with you. Okay, I want you both to share some application tips now because the graduate scheme process is quite demanding, I'd imagine. So what do you think was kind of central to you being successful, Rebecca? I think in the initial steps when you're doing your online form, it's important to like draw on all of your experiences. So don't just focus on your things you've achieved at university, but bring things in from like part-time jobs if you've had those, if you've been travelling. Because I think the employers want to see a, f- a wide range of achievements and also that you're not just a technically capable person, but you've got lots of other kind of business behaviours as well. Yeah, I, mean, I, I echo everything that was said there. And uh, I think the big thing for me was be very enthusiastic about the role. Um, show that you're passionate about uh, engineering if that's what you want to go into or, or whatever scheme you want to go into and, uh, and just sell yourself as much as possible don't try and be humble or modest just uh, just put everything out there let, let the employer know what you can do Good tip um, Catherine I'd like to bring you in here um, Rebecca just mentioned that she was looking for a scheme that, that offered the chartership do you think that's quite an important thing to look for for an engineering career can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I think um, that's something that um, you should definitely consider and um, that that consideration needs to start when you're thinking about university because you need to look for a degree that is accredited and you can find that information on the Engineering Council uh, website which lists all the accredited degree courses and if a degree is accredited it means that you can then uh, go on to pursue your professional registration, so Chartered um, Incorporated Engineer if we're talking about graduate level. Um, which I think does set you apart and it's attractive to employers as well. It's something that employers are keen to support because it means that you are constantly updating your skills and, and keeping those those fresh, which is something that you, you need to have in, in today's environment. Which and I suppose is sort of, yeah, showing a commitment as well to, to the industry, I suppose. Exactly, and I think what, what these guys both said about um, being passionate about what you want to do and, and that, you know, if you've, if you've got that information and you're looking for companies that support professional registration, then that shows that you're serious about, about what you want to achieve. Can I ask you kind of a bigger picture question now? Like, What would you say are the biggest issues facing the engineering sector that graduates should have an awareness of? I think sort of chartership is one, but mm. can you highlight anything else for us? I think just as a general point to say that, and I think you highlighted this at the beginning, that at the moment the competition is fierce. There are um, a lot of graduates that are looking for jobs actually get, getting into university in the first place is not something that you can rely on even if you have good grades um, you need to make sure that you, you're putting the right steps in place to make you attractive to both universities and employers when you come out at the end so I think young people nowadays need to start thinking about that a lot earlier so they need to start thinking about what is going to set them apart from, from the competition earlier on unfortunately I think the days where you walked straight out of university and into a job are gone and um, I think that you know young people need to be realistic and recognise that. Saying all that on the positive side there are employers in the engineering sector that are willing to put up things like Golden Hellos which is a fantastic idea I think from Dyson and really demonstrates that he is you know he's he's serious he's putting his money where his mouth is because he wants these people to come into his company and he recognises that there is a skill shortage and that in order to attract those people that he needs to do something proactive. So that's really positive. I want to pick up on something that Catherine just mentioned to sort of say about kind of going the extra mile and kind of 
going beyond your degree almost. So I think that's something that both David and Rebecca, you both did. So for example, Rebecca, you spent a year um, on placement with Ferrari, like a sandwich year. Can you tell us a bit about that and how you think that's benefited your career so far? Yeah, I mean, that, I think that's been really key, actually. So I did that through a scheme called Erasmus, which I think runs most at most universities. And it's kind of like um, similar to school exchange where you can go and spend time in a foreign university and then foreign students come into the UK universities. Um, so I chose Italy. And then when I arrived in Italy, I was given a couple of projects to choose from, one of which was with Ferrari. So obviously I went for that one. I learned a lot also about being an engineer outside of the UK. So the differences that engineers would face in Europe, also meeting other students from other countries. Plus, from a finance side, there is also money available from Erasmus, which is funded by the European government. And I also got additional funding um, from the Institute of Mechanical Engineers. So, in fact, it didn't actually cost me anything extra either. So, yeah, it's brilliant. That sounds really exciting. And um, what about you, David? I didn't actually do the summer placement in engineering. The the scheme was full at the time, but I uh, I asked if there was another scheme that was available, and and they put me in the the IS scheme, which is more to do with the uh, the technology side of things. And um, it gave me an opportunity to understand what it's like to work in a multinational company. And uh, it's essentially a sort of ten week job interview as well, which which worked out wonderfully. I got to. Uh, Got to work on some pretty cool projects, uh, including that we were, we were in the business of buying a 20% stake in British Energy at the time. I got to work on uh, on, on a project that otherwise I'd have never got to see. Um, Catherine, do graduates that study other subjects often enter engineering careers, or do you kind of need that background, would you say? I'm sure it does happen, but I think as a rule we would recommend engineering degrees, especially at the moment, because you know when you come out of that degree, if you want to go into an engineering role, you're going to be up against other people that have you know good engineering degrees. So if you don't have an engineering degree, and that's something that is required and is, is sought after by the employer, then you know, you're already on the back foot, really. So I don't think in general we would recommend um, you know pursuing other degree disciplines and expecting that you're going to be able to get into engineering if you can't decide on a specialism there are courses that offer one or two years initially to do a a broad uh, engineering study and then you can then focus after that on, on the particular branch that you're interested in so you don't have to say from the word go I want to be a chemical engineer I want to be a mechanical engineer so that's something that young people can look at. Rebecca I want to ask you now about the insights you've picked up being on the job so what have you learned about engineering and what's important for maybe for budding engineers since you've been kind of working at Jaguar Land Rover? The thing I learned most is that you have a chance to make a real impact from day one so you do have a, a big responsibility and I didn't expect that would happen so quickly so the decisions I've made and the projects I've worked on have had they've, they've shaped our new products already so I didn't expect it to be such a big big achievement so early on in my career. I think also as I've mentioned before the importance of like the non-technical skills so it's really important to have be a well-rounded person so in Jaguar Land Rover we term that our business behaviours but they're as important as the technical skills to be a successful engineer. With regard to kind of any budding engineers, personally when I was about 17 I went on a course which was called Insight into Engineering and that was just a five-day residential course and took me to university and to tell me a bit more about engineering, the different disciplines. We had engineers come in and speak to us, and that really reconfirmed that I wanted to go into engineering um, and also go to university. And the final thing I would say is to, for anyone looking to go to university, is to look for funding. Because we are so short of uh, graduate engineers at the moment, there are quite a lot of funding opportunities available. You just have to, to look for them and apply. What about you, David? Have you, what have you learned on the job? 
job that you think would be valuable insight for other grads or students? I think to build on my last point, uh, there genuinely is no such thing as a stupid question. Um, or if there is, then I'm, I'm king of the stupid question because I ask them all the time. Um, it's, it's best just to ask uh, all the time because you are going into a technical role. You are going to be working with people who have probably been in the industry 10, 20, 30 years and they're obviously going to have a lot more knowledge and uh, most of them are willing to share it as well. Catherine, have you got anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I think just think on the point of funding, just to quickly mention that on our website, which is the Tomorrow's Engineers website, we do have a list there of all the grants and bursaries that are available. So that's one source of information that you can go to to find out about funding. In terms of shortage areas, I think I've already mentioned um, sort of low carbon and, and decarbonising the UK infrastructure is going to create many jobs in the years to come. And, and if you kind of break that down a bit and think about you know what people are demanding now they want things to be safer they want things to be quicker so it's only natural that we're going to need people to to actually supply that and we need the engineering skills to be able to do that okay thanks very much everybody thanks very much thank you Now, I'm sure you're all desperate to know more about those golden hellos at Dyson we've talked so much about already. So we've got Adam Hicks, who's a design engineer at Dyson, on the phone to tell us a bit more about it and what it's like working at a leading engineering and design company. Hello, Adam. Hi. There's been the announcement this week about the golden hellos of up to £3,000. That's a nice offer. Tell us a bit what it's like to work at Dyson. We're all so intrigued. Uh, Well, in a nutshell, working at Dyson is really, really great fun. The projects we work on, you know, they always involve a significant amount of technical challenge. So wherever you are, wherever you are in the business, there's always going to be something to like really stick your teeth in. There's so many engineers in the company. We've got 550 currently, and we're still recruiting. We're aiming for 700 engineers in total. So, you know, if you've got a problem, if you really need to seek out some expert advice, there's always going to be someone there who's going to be able to help you out. And you know, at the same time, you know, that's a great learning experience for you as well as a person. By its very nature, Dyson employs loads of forward-thinking, creative and very positive people. So, you know, there's an incredible atmosphere around the workplace and, you know, that's really infectious. I bet. So t- tell me a bit more about these um, these golden hellos. Was that something that was offered to you when you started at the company? Yes, they started about six months after I joined the company. So they were backdated for anyone that joined the company from 2010 onwards. And, you know, I should probably mention that Dyson is particularly keen on recruiting graduate engineers. Uh, I joined as a graduate, obviously, and, you know, we really like them because they're kind of untainted from other businesses uh, and they're a completely blank canvas for us to work on. And, you know, you'll really get thrown in at the deep end. What do you think was central to you getting your job at Dyson? What impressed the recruitment team there? With regards to me and Dyson, I was actually in contact with them two years before graduating, just trying to get placements because I was so keen to work for the company. As it was, what eventually got me the job is Dyson is quite involved with the universities around the UK. So they came to my design show at Bath University at the end of my degree and were impressed with the work that was on display, so called me in for an interview. And I think there's quite a significant number of people at Dyson who have got into the company through that route. So you mentioned that you're surrounded by lots of inspiring employees. Tell me about the most important thing that you think you've learned from them. most important thing I think I've learned from them is um, overcoming problems. You know, Dyson's always out there in the press saying, failures, you know, don't fear, don't fear them. It's a learning experience, embrace it. And you know, that's just not a set of words. That's, that's completely true. A project... It might start with a eureka moment, but bringing that through to market, you know, that's a long, a long road with lots of obstacles. You really need to have the tenacity uh, to come over those problems and bring a project forward. And, you know, that's actually a really rewarding experience in the end game. Have you got a top tip for budding engineers that you want to share with us? Uh, yeah, obviously persistence, which I've just been through, is one of the great skills that you really need. 
On top of that, I'd say teamwork is a really important skill that you're going to need. I mean, for here, here we're always pushing boundaries, you know, trying to get components as small as possible into the smallest possible packages. And that means anything I do is going to have a knock-on effect on, say, 20, 30 other people in the business. So we always need to be in communication and working through our problems together towards a common goal. Thanks very much, Adam. That's really good advice. Um, good luck with everything. OK, thank you very much, Gary. Time for the jobs top ten now, and we've got a host of engineering roles for you. Harriet and Ali are going to reveal the chart. Opening the chart at ten is a mechanical design engineer role from Fresh Minds. Give a grad a go is searching for a performance analyst at nine. It's a graduate project engineer from online resourcing at eight. City University wants an electrical power systems lecturer at seven. And at six, it's a senior engineering advisor from Sojit Europe. At five, it's a place on the Nuclear Graduates Programme via STEP. We've got another role from STEP at four. They're also searching for a graduate project engineer. An applications electrical engineer role is up for grabs from Recruitment Revolution at three. Imperial College London is after a Corporate Partnerships Associate for Engineering at two. And this week's numero uno is an Assistant Manager for Research Programmes at the Royal Academy of Engineering. And finally, here's what we've got coming up on careers.guardian.co.uk next week. Wednesday the 28th of September is Roots into Market Research. Thursday 29th of September is Quiz the Charity Workers. And Friday 30th of September is Bouncing Back from a Job Seeking Blunder. All from 1 till 4pm. If you want to get any of the Q&A links or even future podcasts delivered directly to your inbox, you can now sign up for our weekly newsletter. That brings us to the end of the pod. Thanks to our guests, Rebecca Lees, David Talbot, Adam Hicks and Catherine Teague and of course the pod regulars, Julian Lindley, Harriet Minter and Ali White. Careers Talk was produced by Sarah Codden. I'm Kerry Eustace. Goodbye. Goodbye.